I invite you to uh, have your Bibles open or your phone app or whatever uh, to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. We're going to begin at uh, verse 17. As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we were made orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Yes, you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens and we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker for God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that this is what we are destined for. In fact, when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we, would, that we were to suffer persecution so it turned out, as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you notice anything odd in that scripture? Anything that just seemed out of place where it comes to the Bible. I mean, anything that just seemed, so let me just let you in on what I'm thinking. Um, Paul, the writer of that part of scripture, Paul's intent was thwarted by Satan. How is that possible? I mean, Paul is this great apostle for Jesus Christ. Paul is, is a guy whose heart is solely for Christ. Paul is a guy who, who is serving the Lord. And surely if he thinks he needs to be in Thessalonica sharing a good word on behalf of the Lord, surely God would make that possible, right? Satan can't get in the way. Now, I rarely talk about Satan. Uh, it's just rarely a part of my sermon. Once in a while I will. I mean, we're in it in the scripture, so I might as well mention it, but I rarely talk about Satan. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that, uh, several reasons actually, but, but principle among them is, um, first of all, I think that nothing would please Satan more than to hear his name proclaimed more in worship than Jesus. I'm not going to give him that satisfaction. I also think that whenever we bring up Satan, we bring up temptations, we bring up the awful things that maybe you have done or maybe you're thinking about doing or maybe you just know you can't stand not doing because it's a habit of yours that you shouldn't do but you do anyway and you come away from worship feeling beat up. You got enough of that in your life. You don't need that here. I think, it's, I think it's our task as uh, preachers, I, I think it's our job to bring you to a place, hopefully through worship, to bring you to a place where you're glorifying God, that you're, that you're ready to leave this place because you're so filled with the Spirit of God that you're ready to go out and face the world, not to go out of here feeling beat up, not to go out of here feeling ashamed. I mean, if you feel ashamed at all when you leave here, I hope it is that... It empowers you because of what you've heard to maybe look in a new direction. 
I, I had this conversation that just kind of led me to a thought uh, um, that uh, isn't even on my sermon. I just let me just bring this up. Um, we, we tend to focus so much on the things that happened in the past. Our God is not a God of the past. God's drawing us to a better future that ultimately involves our eternal future. God's not looking at the past. That's forgiven. God's a God that draws us into a great and wonderful future. And if we spend, if I spend all my time shaming you for what happened in the past, that greater future disappears. And I think that's what happens when we talk about Satan. So I just don't, I just don't bring it up much. I, I think you need to hear about grace. I think you need to hear about God's love for you. I don't think you need to hear about Satan. But it's in the scripture today and it's a little hard to avoid. Satan blocked our way. I just find that hard to imagine that Satan could block Paul's way. So let's, let's maybe take a, a little bit closer look at this and, and, and see what all was going on. Paul has this concern for the people in Thessalonica. You see, Paul had started that church. He had, he had been there from the beginning. There were, there were no followers of Jesus Christ when he got there. And when he left, there was a church, albeit probably small, probably not near the number in this room. It was probably a group of, I don't, I don't want to give a number because I don't know the answer to that, but it was a group small enough they could fit in a house because there were no church buildings. They're worshiping in a house or in multiple houses if they've run out of room. So he's writing to this group of people, but he knows them all. He loves them all. He brought them to Jesus Christ. He, he's the one that, 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 he just has this longing to be with them. This desire to be with the people that he loves. I, I was uh, um, looking on Facebook the other day and, and uh, actually um, there, there was this mother uh, uh, that, I, that I know whose son just went off to college. He's been gone for a month and hasn't contacted mom. Wait till the check stop coming. And she longs for that contact from her son. Now, I, I didn't, though I was tempted, I didn't post, by the way, mom, the phone works both ways. Actually, we started a, a, a new group at the church uh, uh, for uh, parents of uh, children that have gone off to college. Because we recognize there's a, a layer of grief and, and uh, 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 that, that it, you know, that separation is tough. And uh, when you're separated from those you love, you think about them. They come to mind. And Paul misses them. He started this church and probably baptized a lot of them. I, I started a, a new church um, back in uh, 1999, 2000, 2001. We didn't get big enough to, to stand on our own. And so that church became the, uh, uh, the contemporary worship at another church as I moved on to another town. And, um, but, but in that church were, were people, many of whom I baptized, many of whom came to Christ for the first time or came back to Christ. And I think of them as my children. I understand what Paul's going through because, I, I mean, I don't see those people on a regular basis anymore. And I think about them often. I think I can probably name most of them here now. 
I don't think I could do that for the church I served in Kansas City later. Some of them are over here waving at me, so. <laughs> I'd call them out and name them that way. You know, um, my experience is that when you, when you baptize someone, there, there's this deep connection that happens. And, and I get the blessing of having that connection. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the service. But I want to show you a picture of a baptism that happened last Sunday afternoon. There. Henry and Kaylee. And they're here this morning. Henry and Kaylee wanted to be baptized. And the family desired that baptism to be an immersion baptism. So we went out to the Merrimack River. And Henry and Kaylee were baptized. Now, Henry was a little bit concerned about whether there were snakes in the water. And I assured him there are no snakes in the Merrimack River. <laughs> I, I, I may not have told you the full truth, Henry. But I did know he did ask about alligators, too. And I was just sure there weren't any of those. However, a log did pass by that looked a lot like one. And, and here after, uh, after the offering, we're going to welcome them as a part of this family. And I always have this connection with them. That's, that's a special bond. And so I understand that about Paul. I understand about, about the missing, the desire, the longing to be with people that you haven't seen, the longing to be with people that you know and love. And, and you know, whenever you have that in your life, that longing to be with someone, uh, oftentimes there's one of two things happening. One may be that they are suffering. And you just wish you could be there. And the other is that you are suffering and wish that the people that you love the most were there with you. And maybe also Paul's looking for a little affirmation. You know, the, the, the work he's doing in Athens is not going great. We just surmise that because um, the Athens church has never really mentioned any other place than this place in the Bible. I mean... It does show up in, in, uh, uh, in the book of Acts, but it, it shows up in the book of Acts as a, a, a conflicted relationship. This wasn't Paul's best work. The Athens people resisted Paul. And wouldn't it be more fun to be with the people that you know and love? Isn't it the, the people that, that we get a rewarding relationship out of that we miss the most? I rarely miss the people that drive me up a wall. Maybe because they're always there. I, I, I've mentioned before that I, I've done, um, I think, 17 or 18 years of, of church camp in the summer with, with teenagers who, when you've done it that long, some of them are a lot older now. And I, I remember um, a young girl that came to camp uh, for four years. She was at our camp uh, from 12 to 16, but didn't come after that because she had a child to take care of. And I remember seeing her post on Facebook um, where she said, you know, in, in one breath, she's posting pictures of this beautiful son that she now has and, and, and just the wonder of having that baby. And, and she's so excited about that. And then in the next breath, she posts how lousy her life is and how much she screwed it up. And I long to be with her to tell her, you know what, life happens sometimes and God's ready to move past that with you. And, and to give you a deep joy in motherhood and a deep joy in the future that you can have if you decide to. 
There was a, a, another um, young woman that uh, is now in her 20s and, and she, she sent a, a Facebook message, you know, the private message to myself and my cousin Jeff. Now Jeff uh, did camp with me, um, I don't know, 15, 16 years, however long. And uh, Jeff is a soldier for Christ. I mean, I just, I admire his faith. I'm impressed by his faith, uh, his deep commitment to it. And, and um, uh, Jeff and I are very close in age. We actually lived together for a while. And, um, and so I, I just have this deep love and respect for Jeff. So she sends us this message about her life being a mess. And I'm like ready to drive to Columbia. But Jeff responds instead. And it was brilliant. And I thought, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want a faith like that. And that's what she needed at the moment. I longed to be there, but but couldn't. Like Paul, maybe somehow I was prevented. Paul, look, I mean, in verse 20, it says, he, Paul calls those people his, his glory, his joy. It says, it's, it says just that, yes, you are our glory and joy. And Paul wants to be with those people. And Satan has a way of getting in the way sometimes. Because Satan hates you with the polar opposite passion that God loves you. And there's nothing Satan wants more than to cause you misery and pain. And I know that's real. For a great many of you, I know that's real. You've told me as much. You've shared with me. Every, every week, um, uh, we send a letter to five families from the church, and we just go alphabetically. And then during that week, I pray for that family. I give you a heads up a week ahead of time. Hey, the next week, I'm going to pray for you. And I, I offer the invitation. If you've got something you want me to pray for, something specific, email me, call me, send me a note, whatever, um, and let me know. And many of you do respond, and I see your concerns, I see your hurts, and I see your hopes, and I see your joys. But I, I think so many of us get hung up on, on where we're at and where we would rather be. And I see that with Paul. He's just not where he wants to be. But let me suggest what I learned from this is that, that Satan may be preventing Paul or, or preventing you from being where you want to be, but maybe instead is making it possible for God to set you up for something greater. It certainly isn't Satan's plan for things to go well. But God has a way of taking the most insidious plans of the evil one and turning them toward the greater good of God. Paul's in Athens when he writes this letter. Do you suppose Paul was enjoying his ministry there? I suspect not because he says he wants to be somewhere else. And I don't think he was having success there not to the, the level he had elsewhere. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever been headed towards seeing someone else? 
you're driving there. I, this, I, I just do this. Maybe you do too. Um, you're, you're on your way to see someone or you're making plans to go see someone that you just haven't seen in a while. You're looking forward to being together with them. You're looking forward for, to a, a night out or a week together or whatever it is. And you, and you begin thinking about what's that going to look like? How's that? You, you make the plan in your mind. You, you, the, you're, you're planning for it. You're, you're romanticizing what it's going to be, right? And not in a weird way. You're just, you're just, you have this romantic sense of, of that, that getting together. Any of, is it just me? Three of us? A few more? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, it is helpful if you respond a little bit. Um, uh, we think about what, what, what could be, what, what's it going to be like? And I think Paul's having that. He's, he's thinking about what could it be like? What will it be like when I get to see those people in Thessalonica, if I could just get there, if I could just go there. We romanticize what the future could be with the people that we love. I, <laughs> I, I like to joke that, uh, um, that, that the next time I have a family, I'm going to be a much better dad. Not really. And so for that reason, I think I'm going to be a much better grandfather than I was a father. You see, when I was a father, I was all worried about the kids doing what they're supposed to do, getting taught the things they were supposed to get taught, being in the games they were supposed to be in at the right time and busing them from activity to activity. I was, I was caught up in all of that. You know what I'm talking about. I know that several of you are, are caught up in that. And then when you become a grandparent, you think, this is, grandparents are guilty of this because we realize you know what? All we really needed to do was love them. Probably get them to an event or two, but all, we, all, we, all they really needed was to be loved and spoiled. So we do that for the grandkids. So far I have. <laughs> and then we hand them back. But we long to be with those that we love. And sometimes Satan blocks our way. Later in his life, Paul is going to be going to uh, um, Rome. He's going as a prisoner. He's been, he's been arrested because he's uh, teaching things that are against the Jewish teaching. He's teaching things that are against Caesar. And uh, so he's going, he, he appeals to Caesar. Um, and he's a Roman citizen, so he's allowed to do that. And um, so he's, he's on a ship, on a boat, headed to Rome. And don't you imagine he's romanticizing, though I'm not sure he was looking forward to being with Caesar, but he's romanticizing what could happen, what should happen, what will happen. He's thinking, man, when I get there, I'm going to convert everybody in Rome. Caesar included, and it's just going to be great, and it's going to be wonderful. And, I just, and then he gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Malta was not on anybody's tourism guide at that time. I'm not sure it is today. I did tell, have somebody tell me, I've been to Malta when she came up for communion. That's all the conversation we have. The body of Christ, I've been to Malta. <laughs> it happens. So he's shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and here's what Malta is like. I mean, he's so used to being in these cosmopolitan cities like Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and, and, and even Athens. And he's so used to these, these beautiful big cities. The island of Malta has a tribal chief. That's how backwoods this is. He wasn't looking forward to being on the island of Malta. He was looking forward to going to Rome. Rome, come on. 
the capital of the empire. He's looking forward to going there and he ends up in Malta. What happens when you're looking forward to being somewhere else with someone else and you end up in Malta, for goodness sake? You know what happens with Paul in Malta? He converts the whole island. They all come to faith in Jesus Christ. When his romanticism of what could be turned into the dread of the reality of a shipwreck, God uses him to convert an island. God uses him in a place, in a moment, where he finds himself. Did God shipwreck him? I don't think so. God used that for his greater good. I don't think God shipwrecks us into the place we are in our life. But God can use that for a greater good. God invites us to, to move from romance and dread to what could be in this moment. Remember, remember years ago, if you're old enough, uh, there, was a, there was a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Now, you got to be older in the crowd, yeah, me and Brenda. <laughs> oh, okay. There you Kurt. Yeah, there's a few of us that are old enough to remember this. So Zen Buddhism was a, was a big deal back then, and it still is in places. But, um, uh, but the idea of Zen Buddhism was to be in the moment, to empty your mind of all, to be in the moment. And I'm, I'm treating it unfairly, um, but, but I mean, that was the, the basic idea. Today, we have a popular psychology called mindfulness. Mindfulness is to empty your mind, to be in the moment. Same sort of thing without the religion attached to it. Now, does that fit Christianity? Let me read what Jesus says in chapter 6 of Matthew, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you not, are you not of more value than they? And can, you, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And I'll just add, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. That sounds like mindfulness to me. That sounds like living in the moment. But here's the difference. Here's, here's where I see a divide between them. Um, mindfulness and, and Zen Buddhism is about empty your mind to be present in the moment. What Christianity says is empty your mind to be present on behalf of God in the moment. If you're going to fill your mind with anything, fill your mind with the thoughts of God to be present in that moment. For the other person. 
And isn't that what happened with Paul and Malta? I suspect that's what happened with Paul in Athens. He wanted to be in Thessalonica. He wasn't there. So he worked in Athens. Paul wanted to be in Rome. He didn't get there right away. He eventually does. So he converts Malta. You know, I think sometimes we do things in, in church that are unreflective. I think sometimes we do things, we'll, we sing the songs, we, we sing the song words, we sing them up there, but, but do we allow those to enter our heart? We said the Lord's Prayer today. Do, do, we, do we routinely just say the words or do we allow those to, to be present in our hearts in the moment? Do we really listen to what we say and ask for and promise in that prayer? I want to invite you to think about, about this. I believe that you're here in this moment because you're where God needs you. Not for you, though, but for someone around you. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to turn to your right and to your left. Don't do it yet. Eyes up here. But I, we're, we're not a church that does that greeting time, you know, stand up and greet each other. We don't do that because I know some of you that freaks you out. I'm the guy that would greet everybody. I'll sit down after the third stanza of the next song. But some of you are like, mm, don't want to do that. So I don't want you to have to do that. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. What I, what I want you to do is I'm going to ask you, not yet, I'm going to ask you to, to look to your right. And the thing is that when you look to your right, Everybody else is looking to their right, so they won't see you seeing them. And you won't see the people that are staring at you. So look to your right. Brenda's facing the wrong way. She's looking to her right, but I get it. Now she's seeing all of you looking at her. <laughs> now look to your left. Now, more difficult. Turn around and look behind you. except for the people in the last row. And look forward. Somebody to your left or to your right, in front of you or behind you, needs to know that God cares about them. I've seen your emails when I sent out that prayer letter. I've heard from you. Your lives aren't perfect. <laughs> no one in the room has a perfect life. Someone to your right or to your left, in front of you or behind you, needs to know they're cared for. So what I'm going to invite you to do after the service is over, at your own pace, at your own leisure, is just do this. Just get someone's name that's near you. And by the way, I see some people that are sitting and there's a long distance between you. Go over and get somebody's name. And if you're really bold... Ask them where they're going to lunch so you can go with them. Not that they have to buy for you or anything. Because they need you. Here in a moment, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, um, bring uh, Kaylee and Henry up on stage, and, and we're going to welcome them to this family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God.
And if the family isn't caring for each other, we surely can't go out and care for others. And I believe you're here, maybe wishing you were somewhere else because I just told you to, to greet someone. But I believe you're here because that's where God needs you in the moment. Needs you right now. Needs you to be with someone. You're where God wants you to be. To take care of the family of God. And maybe you wish you were with someone else. Maybe you wish you were over somewhere else. But I, I'm reminded of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash song. Love the one you're with. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Now, I'm not in, uh, inviting the, <laughs> the adultery that goes with that song. Didn't say that. Let that be clear. Make sure that got recorded for later. So the letters to the bishop don't. But here today, at work tomorrow, at school tomorrow, wherever you find yourself, be present in the moment with God on your mind so that the people around you might come to know Christ. Amen and amen.